Welcome to the Rainbow Bull with Tim Volk from T. Volk and Company Consulting. In this podcast, Tim, a proud member of the LGBTQ community, discusses a range of topics around the five capitals of a flourishing family, human, intellectual, social, spiritual, and financial capital. Tim will use this framework as he and his guest experts delve into the secrets of the wealthy and how we might learn from them. So let's get started on this exciting adventure together. You will get old. That is the common denominator. But after that, there are so many variables. Where will you live? Will you need care? Do you have family? And will you be appreciated for who you are, a member of the LGBTQ plus community? Tim Volk's guests this show are Arden O'Connor and Sam Van Kalkeren. They have some disturbing statistics and stories about aging and elder care, but they also have some advice. I'm Patrice Sakora, And Tim, I'm going to kick this off simply by saying everyone wants to age with dignity. Is that too much to ask? Well, you'd think it wasn't, but it seems like it's becoming a bigger issue. And I also don't think we're all aware of it. I think we're, you know, particularly in the United States, I don't think the way we look at elderly is the same as maybe other parts of the world. You know, some parts of the world, they just assume that the elderly are going to live in their same home. They're much more of a family structure. You know, here we're trying to move out at 16 or 18 and we're trying to start our own life. So I think the idea of everybody coming back together is always challenging. And I'm so very excited about this topic today. Well, why don't you introduce Arden and Sam to us? Arden is a dear friend and uh, is also the founder and chief executive of uh, the O'Connor Professional Group. Her organization is a leading professional group focused on individuals and families needing and facing mental health crisis. Uh, she is an inspirational leader, a deep thinker, calm when others, I think, can be in chaos. And uh, I would consider her a trusted friend and a close advisor I would trust her with my life. Lots of fun, though, and even though she graduated from Harvard, although I didn't <laughs> know that. You've never told me that. You're the only person I know from Harvard that never says you're from Harvard. Well, I can tell you, my cousin used to tell me, I, you know, I know you're smart and everything, but it does not seem like you went to Harvard, which I kind of took as a compliment. So I'm glad I'm the one Harvard grad that's considered fun, and we're really excited to be here today. So thank you. Well, I'm... Um... I'm really, really excited that uh, that we're here today with each other, and there's so much to talk about. Sam, I'm so happy that you're here as well. Uh, Sam is the is part of the O'Connor Professional Group as Director of Aging Services. He is a psychiatric registered nurse and has experience working working with aged populations. But his passion is helping older adults. That's why he's on here with me. The LGBTQ issues are personal for Sam as he's part of our community. And Sam is dedicated to helping improve the lives of, of our community elders and fighting against hate and discrimination that seem to be a bigger issue than it's ever been of late. So Sam, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I did not graduate from Harvard, but I am still fun. <laughs> My husband graduated from Cornell, though, so wow. I'm kind of by, by proxy. <laughs> very nice, very yeah. nice. Well. I went to Oregon State University for my undergrad, but Leslie University for my grad school. So it's it's in Boston. That's as close as we're going to get. You know, it's just kind of interesting that we're talking about this today because 
I was at a um, North Shore Trust and Estates Council breakfast a few years ago, and we had a speaker who started talking about a challenge with the LGBTQ aging and not having adequate care, both in assisted living and nursing care. And I kind of parked it in my head because I was sitting there and I was the only openly gay person, I think, besides the presenter. And of course, everybody turns to me and goes, is that true? I'm like, well, <laughs> I guess as a gay person, I'm supposed to know all of that. Mm -hmm. But um, it's disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's very disturbing, too. And I think, though, as a community, you don't think about getting older. You're living in the moment. You know, back in the 80s, there's the HIV, the AIDS crisis. And I think that played a big part on people's their mentality. Um, and yeah. those diagnosed with HIV, it was a death sentence. So they would just they they didn't think about retirement. They didn't save. And then with the introduction of antiretroviral medications that, you know, people are living longer. Now, members of our community who with HIV are living well past retirement age. And now they find themselves without the funds to support their care. So it's what's out there to help our community and help them age and, and live out their days. Well, it's amazing. I, I, I mean, such a turn of events that none of, I mean, I lost, I knew many people that we lost to HIV. Mm -hmm. And I think there was such a stigma that went with it. The gay community really had to work hard around that which is again one of the reasons the community is so tight mm -hmm. you know and and if it weren't for our allies and it was particularly women uh that stepped in to help this is you know the gay men that were dying of aids i mean it was just horrible but yeah yeah we yeah. moved beyond that but yeah. it was a pretty big stigma oh yeah the stigma is still there and looking back so there are three generations of lgbtq elders right now the first one, they're called the Silence Generation. They're, they were born in the 1910s and the 1920s. They grew up in a time when, you know, there were no LGBTQ people out there. So they were just, and they grew up in the Great Depression and uh, World War II. Mm -hmm. Then you had the, um, uh, I can't the I can't remember the, the name of the next generation, but it was Baby like the ba Yeah, well, it, that, they came a little bit later. So you had the ones in the 19. Uh, 30s. 30s and the 1940s. The so greatest were, generation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, but they, they grew up when like there was a public outcry against the LGBTQ and you were criminalized for being gay. Yeah. Um, and also that's when being homosexual was put in the DSM. So it was a mental illness to be gay. Right. So all this stigma and discrimination was directed towards this community. And then you had the people who grew up in the born in the 50s and 60s who they created the, they're the pride generation and they created the it was the Stonewall riots. They, they birthed that. But all these elders now, you know, they face discrimination, physiological abuse, psychological abuse. And now they're dealing with that and they hold on to that and they harness that. So as they age, you know, going into to a community and we talk about senior living communities and not having proper training or they're not inclusive environments. Um, it, it's traumatizing. And I know for myself as a gay male that um, every time I go to start a new job, you know, I just started with O'Connor Professional Group not too long ago, but you you start a new job, you move to a new location, you meet new friends. Each time is a coming out story. And for me, I grew up in Indiana and being gay, like we were, I was you know, harassed and, and bullied. Um, so coming out was a hard process. 
And so every time I have to come out to new people or a new job, I relive those that trauma and that experience. That's right. And that's the same for these elders when they move into a community or and with that, I think there's a statistic where it's 70% of elders want to or feel they have to recloset themselves when they move into a community because of this the trauma they've experienced their whole entire life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's, it's, it's mind boggling to think that you would undo, particularly if you are were fortunate to find somebody in your life to share your life with mm -hmm. and then to not be able to move in together or even have access together. I'm a you know, I'm 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 assuming that this probably also disproportionately affects people who are gay, who are of color or women there's just seems to be i'm sure there's other overlays in it oh big time and, and so. the trans the trans community as well um mm -hmm. and there right now i think there's there's 28 states that don't have um laws protecting lgbtq members so if someone like a trans person if they needed transportation to a medical appointment they could be refused that transportation if a homebound gay elder needed meal delivery services they could be denied that and there's no laws protecting them. And, and an older person's not going to be able to advocate for themselves when it comes to this and fight that discrimination. It's, it's just, it's so sad. Well, and Arden, what do you, what are your thoughts when we, we started to talk about this sort of a randomly and it's evolved thanks to Sam also contributing all that information, but what comes to mind for you? Of course. I mean, I think about, you know, obviously I can't speak to the experience personally, but I can speak on behalf of our clients who, you know, their hope if their loved one is going into a facility is that they're going to feel comfortable and cared for. So if you think about being the adult child of a gay man or a gay woman who's going in either as a couple or as a single individual and the chances that they're going to have to endure bias and prejudice from the staff in a place when they're likely going in less high functioning than how they've lived their lives. In other words, you're not talking about someone necessarily who's going to be able to stand up either physically or even mentally to somebody who is taking away a walker or who is picking on them or using disrespectful language. I, I just think about the level of trepidation that all of our clients do have with anybody, any loved one going into any type of institutional or residential setting, never mind somebody who's in a particularly vulnerable position. And, you know, Sam, I know you've commented on sort of the increased incidence with this population as they think about more institutional care, which is traumatic in and of itself. You know, people moving out of their home environments um, is a hard thing and a hard transition to do. So I, I kind of go back to thinking about myself, if I were the child, the adult child of somebody who is desperately seeking good care, kind of how frustrating it would be to feel like yep. not only, you know, are we paying money to get them the best type of care, but do I need to now on top of it, be worried that if I live in a different state, you know, there's an increased risk that my family member isn't going to be treated in the way we would have hoped. And I don't even know how we know that that's happening unless there's somebody or some, or we witness it ourselves. I mean, because so much of the discrimination occurs, it's sort of, there's a subliminal level of it. And I'm sure Sam, I've experienced it where, you know, you think you don't think cause we're white men, mm -hmm. it's not, but we're gay white men. And so then the discrimination is not necessarily as overt, mm -hmm. but it's either, you know, I didn't get a call back for the job interview or there was 
a, a client that decided to move to another one of the representatives in the business or relationship manager one you know another person in the business but they said oh no it's nothing personal mm-hmm. so i also think that that could be a challenge as you as you try to find care for for the loved one and you know let's just face it that, that some of us are not going to go easily into assisted care i mean there's some you know over the top lives you know i have some friends that just i can't I can't imagine because there's just they live so over the top. It's so fun to be with them. They're so big in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the idea of going into assisted care that alone would send them into depression. But then to have the issue of finding care that was non discriminatory. I guess it's a what. Yeah. Well, it's so true. And, and I typically this you know lesbians and gay men are very headstrong and they want to do everything themselves and care for themselves. And and I personally too, I'm like, I don't want someone taking care of me. I don't want to move into this community mm-hmm. or I don't want to do that. It's yeah. just, we're going to take care of ourselves. Um, and, but then the idea of moving into a community, you know, it goes back to a coming out story is, am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be harassed? Um, do I have to go back into the closet? And, you know, you hear stories all the time of people being a, this or abused or assaulted and and Arden spoke about you know so your walker being taken away you know i there's a story about in 2016 it was this lesbian who told a fellow resident she was living in a senior living community she told a fellow resident about her sexual orientation and then after that she was spat on verbally and physically assaulted by the other residents and the workers the caretakers knew this was happening and they didn't do anything about it so it was lambda legal who stepped in to file a lawsuit on her behalf and then it was she they won the case and then there was an appeal and then in 2008 it wasn't until 2018 and that's the crazy thing when you look at the the timeline of when protections are put in place it's just like almost as yesterday that so in 2018 they um the courts ruled that people living in senior living communities as tenant residents it's the senior living community's responsibility for these individual safety, no matter who you are, what your sexual orientation is or race is, it's their responsibility to protect you. But 2018, that was still put in place. And, you know, abuse still happens today and, and stuff like that. So, Sam, Sam, this is Patrice. Yeah. So it's not just the staff you have to worry about. It's the residents as well. It's Yeah, exactly. It's the residents as well. and And it's not even just if you are an LGBTQ member moving into a senior living community. And if the community is not inclusive, you have to think it's also, it can impact heterosexual couples too, because they may have children who identify as LGBTQ. And if their children come to visit, they can be harassed or assaulted by their peers or by even by the staff. So it's just, it's better to have an inclusive community and make that the standard because it's going to protect everybody. Well, I think it goes to the whole point where people think that we're only talking about gay kids. I'm like, no, no, no. We know a lot of people who've come out later in life. Some of them who were married and have kids. I have quite a few people I know actually had dinner the other night with a gentleman who's a financial advisor. Didn't know that he was a financial advisor, Um, but he is 71. He looks amazing, but he just said, I came out last year. Wow. And... I haven't told everybody at work. I told my children. I said, how did your kids take it? He said, um, two of the children embrace me. Uh, one of them's not talking to me. There's grandchildren. 
they don't want me to tell the grandchildren yet. Mm. It's just kind of an interesting, like we don't think about how this can play up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the family line. Yeah. And, and it's just even it's, I don't know if, if you've been following um, Dylan Mulvaney, she's a trans actress and uh, influencer. So she was journaling her coming out and transitioning for the last 365 days of womanhood or being a girl. And she just recently reached that and Bud Light celebrated that by putting her face on a can and just giving it to her. They weren't selling it to anyone. And so she posted on Instagram and her social media about this. And the outcry was just outrageous against her and all the comments. And I saw, I think it was, I read the other day that Anheuser-Busch lost $5 billion in revenue and profit because of that. And it's being, this hate is being spewed by like conservative America and conservative celebrities. And I think it was Kid Rock was video, made a film shooting Bud Light. And it was just for this over this person and they're they're celebrating this individual and it, it's it's, right. it's sad yeah i saw i've seen on my instagram account rupaul now speaking out about how we're villainizing drag queens you know because yeah. there's so many so many killings by the drag queens mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah and i mean it's just the comedy of it and what it is it's a narrative that has been taken by the right wing to steer the conversation away from gun violence because the gun violence is really where the issue lies not not in drag queens reading Uh, and there's not a sudden pop-up of drag queens it's not like you do a flash dance of drag queens (laughs) in the the middle of o'hare yeah i mean i just say it would be great to see but no it doesn't happen that way i wish but i just find it to be fascinating this villainization of this group and then with the recent laws that are passing in tennessee florida texas mississippi i don't understand i just don't understand and we're kentucky is past the most oppressive lgbtq uh anti-gay legislation in the country now and i don't know how you plan to police that but even more so you can't be out in public as uh, as an lgbtq member so then they just all said, I guess we better arrest Medea, Tyler Perry's character, immediately. Yeah. Well, and it's well that and Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, yeah. rest in peace, Robin Williams. But yeah, it's just it's it was a family movie and there's no talk about any of that. There was no issue. And now what you see and all those states you mentioned, they're part of the 28 states that don't have the protections and the anti-discrimination laws. But even in states that are super liberal. So I'm in Massachusetts one of the most liberal states in America, but we can't assume that LGBTQ individuals, elders are safe in, in those states either, because again, it's if they're living in a senior community, it's the staff that can harass them. And I think um, as of 2021, Massachusetts had two anti-LGBTQ hate groups. Their headquarters are in Massachusetts outside of Boston. So you can't assume that liberal states that that it's a safe safe haven for them either. So. Well, I'm uh I want to know what you thought what do you guys have thoughts on what what can be done or I, I mean uh, yeah there's some great statistics you've shared I mean we could even maybe even write a white paper on this to try and shed some light on it even further I think this discussion is probably the first and most direct way to get people involved but the, to raise awareness right I mean that's the yeah. first thing we've got to do is raise awareness 
yeah, raise awareness. It's education, emailing, contacting your senators and congressmen. But even though it's, it's such a polarizing topic and it's such a divide between the right and the left. So it's just it's, it's about education and advocacy. So I know there's uh, the resources out there like SAGE, which is um, a resource for LGBTQ elders, and they can help identify communities um, and resources needed that are LGBTQ inclusive. But I think when you're also looking at communities, it's important, you know, and it's one thing you can fly a pride flag and say, oh yeah, we're LGBTQ friendly, but you got to walk. Yeah. It's like, really? Okay. So how are you? Are you, you know, do you have LGBTQ representation on your website and your brochures? Like that's going to, you know, really your walk your talk. But then, you know, have they gone through a whole training? I think Sage and Human Rights Campaign has, it's called the Long-Term Care Equality Index. So it's a training that um, senior living communities can go through about making the these communities inclusive for everyone and making sure that there's anti-discrimination policies put in place to protect the residents and making sure that staff have education and resources and go to if they are confronted with a situation that they don't know how to handle. Um, and then, you know, do they actively have events um, like of LGBTQ groups in the um, community or do they put on events geared towards this this group as well? So it's just a lot, you know, going back, it's about you, you, we need to educate, we need to advocate, advocate. Um, not, enough can't be done at this point because it's just like we're going back in time. And Sam, would you agree that I think the same way that we think about housing, you know, options for various populations, that there not needs to be you know, I, I'm thinking on the residential side when we think about people with addictive disorders. You know, I've actually heard of facilities that have a, a track specifically for people who are adopted because there are certain traumatic um, patterns that we see within that subset of people with addictive disorders. So what it makes me think of is beyond just, you know, obviously we want all of our facilities to be up to a certain standard of inclusivity, mm-hmm. but that, but even on top of that, you know, I think about communities that are dedicated to serving the LGBTQ plus community yep. and not just from right. a not experiencing discrimination, but from a higher level of, Hey, I can't be in my home because I've got some severe medical issues, but I want to be in a community where we're celebrated, where, you know, there are various activities that are geared specifically to this population that it's run by people right. that are from that demographic group. I don't know how you, what your yeah. thoughts are on that, but that's sort of where my brain goes to as well. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. So that's awesome because so actually I talked with a colleague like a week ago about this topic um, and he's behind. It's called the Pride. It's a LGBTQ inclusive uh, environment or living senior housing. It's in in Massachusetts. It hasn't opened yet, but there's about 14 to 15 communities like this throughout the U.S. that are it's based on LGBTQ like developed from them. They, They have their input, what's important to them. But it's an open community to everyone. And when they did some listening sessions with LGBTQ elders about what they want in a community, and surprisingly, they wanted it to be open to everyone. They didn't want it just to be an right. LGBTQ. Sure. We want everyone in there. And you know, talking about you know, one of, part of my responsibilities for aging services is that we go around vetting senior living communities to make sure that they are up to standard for our clients. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that when I'm going through a community, I look for, are they LGBTQ friendly? I just toured a property um, yesterday uh, and, you know, I saw on several of the doors, they had a pride flag and a U.S. flag hanging up. And so clearly this is a welcoming community and, you know, you just make sure it's, it's inclusive for everyone. So, mm-hmm. 
Hey, hey, sorry for the interruption. Look, I know you're listening to the Rainbow Bowl podcast, and I'm really happy you're here. But if you have any questions or issues you'd like to have us discuss with the experts, please email them to us at tim.volk at tvolkco.com. We would love to hear from you. When we were uh, we were in Palm Springs, um, John and I were a couple weeks ago. We had some friends that bought a house there. It's always nice to have friends that buy houses. There. Yeah, yeah. Then, then <laughs> all, over, like, yeah. all over. Exactly. I just all want over, them to yeah. buy because then we don't have to take care of the house. Yeah. But anyway, side note. And we're in this Uber and we're driving uh, past this new construction project. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is. And he goes, oh, that's a a new project to house uh, LGBTQ gay members that are aging. I went, really? He goes, yeah, I think it's kind of cool. And I said, uh, you're not, are you gay or not? He says, no, not gay, but I really think it's a really good idea. And I never thought about it, he said. And I was just so funny. Palm Springs is, you know, got a huge gay community and uh, you couldn't have more diverse because Palm Springs is super gay. And if you go down down the desert cities, you go to, palm desert it's not as friendly i mean there's still people of course that are friendly but there are also a lot of other people that are not as friendly and so i found it to be a relief like a positive that in the midst Mm -hmm. of this you're seeing you know where we're seeing communities geared to that now if i was living in the community and it may be a retirement let's just say it's not you know it's that gradiated assisted care where right now i only need care i'm not you know i'm not drilling yet (laughs) <laughs> but that that uh so then i would rather have a, a mixed group of people like yeah. i would have in my normal life right yeah you know yeah. so we could we could have a vetting process only the cool people mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know i could see that i mean we could have a committee yeah 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 <laughs> like looking at them like, no no you can't no. <laughs> yes you you come in you come in and um uh, but but i really think we're not thinking about that particularly where we are in our lives right now. I don't think most people are thinking about it unless you're dealing with an aging parent or an aging Mm -hmm. sibling, because, you know, a lot of families have very dispersed, very dispersed ages because there's the family had a lot of kids and my husband's one of eight children in their family. So they have old, his older siblings that are significantly older than him. And and I also have in my mom's family, she's much older than my uh, aunt, who's only five years older than I am. There's a, 15 years difference. So it could be the same thing where the families, you know, have a variety of ages and they're trying to cope with how to help the the sibling. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think we're thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and depending where you live, it just also compounds the problem. Yeah. Well, and that's it too. So my husband, and I always, you know, we recently just started discussing, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, we don't have children, we have nieces and nephews, but we're not going to, burden them um to like you have to take care of you us think, yeah yeah you exactly think. We say that now. <laughs> yeah you want that inheritance you want uh, that inheritance my here. precious <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um so we are like discussing okay what are we gonna do and and what plans do we need to put in place and it's almost thinking okay well we know obviously you have all the, our legal documents in order living will and identify healthcare proxies and all that stuff um very but, good very yeah. good but who's going to like hire someone to, okay, this is what we want and pay someone to be our advocate and take care of us. Cause I mean, uh, I don't want to go into a senior living community. I don't want to, I want to, I feel like I'm going to be able to do CrossFit every day until I'm, I die. And, you know, I think I have that 
Peter Pan yeah. complex. Yeah. So, uh-huh. yeah. Well, you're not the only one. I mean, yeah. I started bodybuilding last year when I decided when I was turning significant birthday at 60. And so I think that a lot of us are facing that. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people, and it's not just the gay community because we have a lot of friends that are single. I mean, uh, Arden single, right? I mean, yeah. you and I, what are we going to do? We don't have kids. I mean, maybe we have we have great nieces and nephews. We have about 28. So it's a pretty good pool. But I'd say maybe six care about it. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think one thing just to mention is, and I also think it's a great point, Tim, you know, single LGBTQ plus or just even a married couple where you've got a, a older husband and a younger wife. There's so much, and I'm going through this now with, you know, my parents are older. My dad just turned 80, my mom's 73. They're not quite at the age we're concerned, but they definitely, like many of us, want to age in place and they want to be at home. So there's all sorts of aspects of this to consider, much like we're talking about on the facility side. You're also talking about what can you afford in the home and how long, at what point, you know, does somebody say, this is as far as I want to take medical intervention? You know, there's all sorts of, complicated estate planning questions, financial questions, and then you get into the family dynamics, which is loaded in this area. You know, if you do have kids or you do have nephews or you have a very outspoken sister, God help my brother, you know, somebody (laughs) says, I don't think that's what he would have wanted. Or, you know, I I remember a family member who died even though it was all laid out very clearly in the document, you know, a couple of the family members really objected to eventually saying, you know, we're, we're not going to do that last medical intervention because she wrote right in her estate planning documents. I don't want it. If I'm at this stage, very hard for first people to actually make that decision in the moment. So I think, I think, frankly, I think these are complicated conversations, hard to have because we don't like to face mortality, particularly here in the U S but I think the more, specific your circumstance single if you're with the lgbt lgbtq population the more specific your set of circumstances the more intentional you have to be about the planning is i guess my process because Mm -hmm. your options may not be as broad as the average person who could go a lot of different ways with their care if that makes sense no it totally makes sense and i think john's mom dolly we lost her about two years ago and i know that we had visited and she was a very uh, proud and tough, you know, woman. She'd really raised these two sets of families and she was a business owner. She had had, she had been attacked and, and nearly lost her life from that. And so she, she was just this remarkable person, multiple marriages since John's dad died. And then she remarried her dancing partner that lived next door that, that his wife died the same year and Jack adored her. And then Jack died and then Carl came along. And so, you know, we had, they were both needing help. And so we sent visiting angels in mm-hmm. and we called her one day and we're like, you know, how's the, how's the, how are the, the, the visiting angels doing? And she says, Oh, I had to let them go. <laughs> and John's like, well, what, what, wait, well, what did you, why did you let them go? She says, they can't cook. He says, what do you mean? They can't cook. They're supposed to help you cook. That was one of the key things. Well, I asked them to make a stuffed pepper, uh, some <laughs> And I asked him to make awesome buco and they just couldn't. And he says, is that, was that reasonable mom? I mean, they're supposed to make eggs. <laughs> I mean, they could have made grits, fried chicken, but stuffed peppers <laughs> and with awesome buco. I mean, and you, and you, and she's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't need to tell them how to do I, everything. She does what she wants. <laughs> and I just started laughing going, Oh my God, is this what we're going to be like? It's, it is. 
it's, I mean, this is, and that's why I say it. I think, you know, with my grandmother, she had her own preferences, personality, demographically, mm-hmm. what she was willing to tolerate. Mm-hmm. She came from a generation and she was not an easy woman, truthfully. It's my mother's mother. And I remember saying, you know, somebody coming in the home, we're tr- doing this thing we think is great to let her live in this house that was frankly totally dangerous. I mean, it was 500 steps to get up to the door. She refused to move out, wanted yeah. to keep driving, you know, all the things, Sam, I know you talk about sort of these like little white lies telling her the car was broken when we're yeah. just trying to not <laughs> let her go in the car. But, but to your point, like then, and that's why I say for people as they have competence, really tough conversations to have with loved ones. Like, if we need home, you know, people in the home, mm. what kind of personality do you want? Or what, you know, do you have a preference on gender? Asking these questions right in the beginning when somebody still has the capacity to make these decisions. Because to your point, Tim, when people are struggling a little bit, even if they're not struggling, they may be very mentally acute, but they need help. It's harder when there is an actual need. And now we're going to go through, you know, and and we work a lot with geriatric care managers will say, oh yes, this family is known to four agencies. They've cycled through 30 in-home people. And so it's much trickier. And if you combine, forget it, if you combine an addictive disorder or a mental illness, something like that on top of a dementia or some medical needs for somebody with advancing age. Now you're talking about a subset of a subset of caretakers who are going to be able to address it. So long way of saying it's, it's why I think, you know, we hear so much in the media about the sandwich generation because people are living way longer than they did before. And adult children in their forties, fifties, sixties, even seventies are being called upon in intensive ways to say, Whoops. Okay. You thought plan A was bulletproof. Now, now we got to come nope. up with a guy who makes also We need plan B, plan C, plan D. I know it's, I'm wondering as we wrap up today, because there's so many good points, I wanted to come up with some ideas because I think something I've noticed is, you know, not everybody has the resources that a lot of the families we get to work with do. A lot of the families just try to find care. It is really difficult to find care. I've seen some alternatives where, where we, I want to, it's like almost like a commune type situation Mm -hmm. where, you know, people own a big home Mm -hmm. and they have rooms available, space available, and there's people that need, younger people that need places to live. And then they brought them in and they form this unusual friendship, kinship, and they help take care of things like groceries and and then cooking. But there's also been cleaning people that come in and still clean. And so it winds up being a nice lifestyle. So I think, you know, we kind of have to get creative in this. Um, I was just going to say, what's one of the best benefits of travel, you go to other countries in Asia or Africa, and it could be from an economic necessity, but this idea that the village is raising the child, it's really the village is raising the family. I mean, right? And the, there are powerful connections, young people innocent. I think it's that sandwich generation who's managing kids and managing older adults who has no patience is fried every day and downing a bottle of wine to relieve the stress. But young people, I remember how I was with even grandparents at a very young age when some of those quirks, some of the things they would say, it was almost intriguing. It wasn't annoying. And so there's a real power that can come from that. But I think you're really onto something. I think for people who don't have infinite economic resources or long-term care insurance, you know, the next best bet is going to have to be somebody in some role with the family that's trusted, that takes on some responsibilities. Um, and that could be a family member, or could be somebody who grew up in the family system, you know, as a housekeeper or some other type of, you know, that's right. 
That's right. That's a great idea. Yeah. Now I wonder, this is a little off topic, but I wonder how mentality will change because we look at the younger generation of LGBTQ, the young, young ones, um, and they're out there. They're, they are expressing their gender identity. They have, and for me observing this, it's like they have no fears and it's just, here I am, accept it, which I think is a brave because for me growing yep. up in Indiana, I'm hiding who I am and I still will hide who I am in certain situations. And so I admire them. So I wonder as, you know, time passes, what the mentality is going to be like. No, I agree. I think, and you know, we share again, I'm from Wyoming and whenever I go home and John, and I go home and they, you know, my aunt used to, you know, when John and I first started dating, his last name is Italian Graziani, and then she says, is, "How is Maserati, right? John Gra- Maserati, or for?" And I was like, "No." But the family, we go home, and there's people that say, "Oh, your friend? Where's your friend?" I'm like, mm-hmm. "My husband is." Yeah. It's just the comedy routine. <laughs> my this, best friend. Right? Yeah. My best. Friend. My roommate. <laughs> my grandfather. My uncle's gay, and his husband. My grandfather used to call him his valet. Well, Malcolm's valet will take care of that. I'm like, what? <laughs> so valet. <laughs> But um, there is some interesting thing. I just thought about a technical thing. So I want, and before we close, Sam, I want you to mention a couple of the resources that you've identified that are there. There also is interesting, and we'll talk about this on another podcast, but, you know, I started my career in life insurance and then went on into a whole suite of wealth management. But interestingly, uh, there's new life insurance products that offer long-term care riders, Mm-hmm. And instead of having a separate long-term care policy, you can use the actual life insurance face amounts to draw on to pay for long-term care. And it can be done in what they call an indemnity format. In other words, you could just say, I want a, a check for 4000 a month or 5000 a month, not reimbursement. And I, I truly think this product could give a lot of freedom to all of us who are younger to still qualify for insurance, but you can have these policies until you're 100, 120 now, and the policies can go for a very long time. And I too think that's uh, something that we're going to have to look toward is financially how to support some of it. And the idea that came to mind when you're both talking was, you know, we have a lot of young gay people that are uh, getting kicked out of homes. We have a homeless issue. And I'm wondering if maybe we should try to pair the older and the younger and yeah. help create a community or a village. Housing, I mean, yeah. I think it's kind of a cool idea. That that just sends goosebumps because that's just that makes perfect sense. You have the young generation with the old, and they yeah. together and support each other. Mm-hmm. And we can train the younger to be cool. I mean, we can get yeah. them. You know, they can learn the movies they need to know. And exactly, <laughs> they can earn their gay card. <laughs> <laughs> What are the resources that you identified a little earlier? So tell us a couple of things that you mentioned that were there are great yeah. resources for people to know. Yeah. So there's the Sage, which is it's a, it's a national organization. So you can go online. It's S A G E. Um, it's resources for LGBTQ elders. Um, there's the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. So they both partnered to create this. It's called the Long Term Care Equality Index, and that's the training Fantastic. for. Um, senior living communities to go through. Um, there's also the National Resource Center for LGBTQ Aging. Uh, and then there are, um, what I mentioned earlier, the PRIDE, it's P-R-Y-D-E. It's the senior LGBTQ senior housing um, that's being built in uh-huh. outside Boston, in Boston. Yeah. And how can we, how can listeners get a hold of you guys? So Arden, how's the best way to to contact you guys if they needed to? 
We have a website, O'Connor uh, PG, so stands for professionalgroup.com. We also have an intake phone number that I'm going to pull up right now, which is <laughs> 617-934-1016. And you're welcome to email either of us. Uh, my email is aoconnor at oconnorpg.com. And I'll let Sam say his. It's S Van Calcarin at oconnorpg.com. It's a tough last name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or you guys should just call me or email me and I'll exactly, forward it on exactly. to you. Exactly. We'll, we'll get to I have it all. Finding my, us is not an contact. issue. We're very yeah. visible. So, uh, O'Connor <laughs> Professional Group is the name of the firm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny. So, you guys, this has been fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. This thank you for awesome. your, your, your both. The energy is just so fun. And thank you for this. And hopefully we can come up with some more from it. I think it's some great ideas we got started. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Patrice listeners. Yep. I'm coming in to say, follow the podcast listeners, share it with others. Let Tim know your thoughts and questions, contact him. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Bull podcast. Visit our website at www.tvolco.com or give us a call at 312-636-5855. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of T. Volk and Company Consulting. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.